Friends, what you see behind me is not a virtual background. I can prove it because I'm wearing green, or else I'll disappear. Uh, we are, we're glad to be in church again, uh, at least for recording for the first few weeks uh, before more people come in. Uh, let's come to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we want to ask that you speak. May you be magnified. May I reduce. Lord, I pray that every thought and every uh, attitude of our hearts, Lord, will be held captive to you. Speak, Lord. Your people listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a couple of you may have met my, one of my dogs before. Her name is Holly, and she's a, she's a very cute Cocker Spaniel. Okay? Uh, however, she's not really in the best of health. Other than some major kidney problems that she has and, and many, many health problems that most Cocker Spaniels has, uh, she has glaucoma. Okay? So for those of you not aware of uh, what glaucoma is, basically it's going blind. Okay? And happens in humans, also happens in dogs. And so basically for Holly, uh, she's almost completely blind. Okay? She, I, I suspect that she only sees shadows, maybe some shapes but generally she can't see. Uh, and so even though she's a dog, she's not a very young dog, and so her sense of hearing is also not very good. For some reason, maybe it's her floppy ears uh, it covers. And so how she navigates around is like, you know those robot vacuum cleaners that go eh, bonk, eh, bonk, eh, bonk. So that's, that's my dog. She goes around bonk, 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 bonk to navigate around the house. Now, the thing about Holly is that every time she's alone during a thunderstorm, she will bake some chocolate brownies and make some lemonade okay, for us to enjoy. Uh, okay, for those of you who don't know what that means, that's basically a, a very polite way of saying that she makes the doo-doo and she makes the pee-pee. Okay? Uh, so we know that if we are out, we're out of the house, and she starts, uh, she's at home, and then it starts raining heavily, which happens a lot in JB, so back when we were in Johor Bahru, we know that we are going to come home to be greeted by chocolate brownies and lemonade. And the reason she does that is because she's afraid. Okay, when she feels fear, she loses control of the things that keeps those brownies and lemonade inside. Uh, when we hold her during a thunderstorm, you really can feel it. You can feel her trembling very violently. It's, it's, it's very... Pitying, yeah. So Holly only really started going blind when we moved to Penang. And so we, we knew about it, but there was no way to prevent it. Now, in Penang, there's hardly any rain, let alone thunderstorms. But anytime Holly is left to wander around alone or for any period that is longer than 15 or 20 minutes, she will get to work baking those chocolate brownies and making lemonade. More than once, we have found her brownies and lemonade on the stairs landing or in some unoccupied room because she got lost in her blindness. And when she couldn't find us, she became fearful. She became helpless. And so this brings us to my big idea for our message today, that spiritual blindness gives rise to fear and helplessness. Okay? 
Spiritual blindness gives rise to fear and helplessness. Let's have a quick look at today's passage, uh, the background to today's passage. Uh, similar to last week's message, once again, we are looking at Elisha and his servant. But this time, the servant is not Gehazi. Okay? He already, he's now got leprosy, and so he has to do permanent social distancing from everybody. And so now it's a new servant. Okay? And so Aram, the kingdom of Aram, is now at war with Israel. And it's not this all-out war, it's, it's sort of like guerrilla warfare. Okay? So uh, the Arameans would send in some small bands of raiders who would hit Israel and, and you know, destroy their supplies, steal stuff, that kind of thing. Now the problem for them was, Elisha was like a supernatural CIA agent. He was Israel's source of intelligence, military intelligence, and so he would report their every move to the king of Israel. And so uh, everywhere that they wanted to raid, the king of Israel knew, and so he would defend that place. And so the Arameans found out that Elisha was the source of this, and they, they discovered he was in Dothan, a village, and they went to capture him. Now, Dothan is a small village, and so the Arameans went in a, under the cover of night. They, they took a stealthy approach, and they surrounded this village with an army of horses and chariots. So this is not just a small squad of, of soldiers. It is literally an army big enough to surround an entire village. And so this meant that Elisha had no chance to escape, and this tiny village is not able to defend itself against an army. Uh, they'll, they'll just be full of common people. And so this is the situation that Elisha's servant woke up to the next day. So you put yourself in his shoes, okay, the servant's shoes. Waking up to find yourself literally surrounded by an army that, that obviously means death, okay? Or, or it means becoming captive, which may eventually lead to death. And so what would you have felt if you woke up one day and you know that you're surrounded by people who are out to kill you or capture you? Uh, obviously, the servant felt afraid. He felt helpless. And Elisha responds by praying that God would open his eyes. And so God lets the servant of Elisha see what is really happening, what the true situation is around him. And his eyes open, and he can see that they are surrounded not only by the Aramean army of chariots and horses, but they are surrounded by an even larger multitude of chariots and horses of fire. So many fiery chariots and horses that it filled the hills. Okay, so imagine you're looking at a, a, a few hills and all as far as you can see is full of these chariots of horses, uh, chariots and, and horses of fire. And so Elisha then prays for the Arameans to be blinded and then he, he leads them almost 20 kilometers away to Samaria where he prays, okay God, Please open their eyes. Their eyes are opened. Uh, the, the king of Israel is excited. Okay, now's the time, right? Now can I kill them? Now can I kill them? And Elisha says, no. Uh, feed them and then send them on their way. And so they are instead treated with hospitality and they are, they, they are dismissed peacefully back to their own country. As a result, Aram stops their raids against Israel, at least for this period of time until a few more years. 
And so what we can see is that Elisha's servant, what he could not see at first, what we can see is that there are spiritual realities that are often invisible to our natural senses. Now, invisible realities are not new for us. We deal with them all the time. Uh, there are so many things that we cannot observe for ourselves without the use of special instruments. For example, uh, cells. You, you can't examine the, the cells that your body is made up of with your naked eye. Uh, galaxies. You can't see how many galaxies there are out there with your naked eye. Even Wi-Fi signals. You, you can't tell how strong a Wi-Fi signal out until you, you take out your phone and then you try and connect and, oh, bad signal, right? And so, even if we had those instruments to measure these things, not all of us would know how to use them. If you give me a microscope, I, I probably will try to pinch to zoom the slide. Uh, so we, in order to, to be able to see these invisible things, we trust the testimony of others who have observed these invisible things for themselves. The microbiologists, the astronomers, the Wi-Fi <laughs> makers, whatever. And not only do we trust them, we trust the procedures that they use to arrive at their conclusion. The, we, we trust the instruments that they use to be accurate. We, we trust the, the procedures that they, they arrive to at their conclusion. We trust all these things even if we don't understand them. And so our understanding of the reality of so many scientific concepts, things that we, we consider to be true, is not based on our first-hand observation with our own senses, but upon the witness and testimony of others in many, many instances. And guess what? This is exactly what the Gospels and the book of Acts and all the other narratives of the Bible are doing. They are communicating to us what we were not able to observe for ourselves with our own senses. Because the spiritual realm is invisible. For most of us, we don't see the spiritual realm because we typically we cannot experience it with our natural senses. And so this includes God, it includes Satan, it includes uh, angels, demons. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 16 tells us that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. And so in the case of what Elisha's servant saw, those flaming chariots and horses were probably angels, uh, messengers, agents of God. Now, I'm not going to spend so much time on, on these angels and focusing on them and dissecting them and exactly what's their role, what's their hierarchy and all that, because we have a tendency to get so caught up and fascinated with the supernatural that we put our focus on them instead of Christ. And Paul warns us against something like this in Colossians chapter 2. Instead, I would rather that we acknowledge these spiritual realities and put all our focus on God and what He wants, rather than angel this and angel that. And so the, the spiritual realm is real, although it is invisible most of the time. And it's not just a spiritual realm. 
we too are spiritual creatures. We are made in God's image, so although our bodies are physical, and we can see our bodies, our spirits are not. And we cannot see our own spirits with our naked eye. And so that makes the spiritual realm very relevant for us, whether positively or negatively. Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us, put on the armor of God because we don't battle only against the physical, but also against the spiritual. But because the spiritual realm is usually invisible, many times our perception does not match our spiritual reality. What we see is not always what we get when it comes to the spiritual realities. Although we are spiritual creatures, the spiritual realm is real around us, we often perceive our spiritual realities very differently, like Elisha's servant. Initially, he, he only saw the Aramean army. He, he, even though the, the, the presence of the angelic army was all around him, that was all he saw, the Aramean army. Because we are all born spiritually blind. Uh, other than the fact that God is spirit and we, we cannot physically see him, we are also obstructed from seeing him spiritually because of our sin. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 tells us that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And that is the default state of mankind. Spiritually blind because of our sin that separates us from God. Without holiness, no one can see the Lord. And so we're all born spiritually blind, and blindness results in fear. When Elisha's servant couldn't see the angelic army, he was fearful. It's a natural response, uh, very rational. Fear is a, a survival mechanism. To have no fear in the, in the face of clear and present danger is foolishness. And so e Elisha's servant was very rational in his response of fear. But many times, even in the absence of a direct threat, blindness results in fear. Uh, if I blindfolded any of you right now, chances are one of the main emotions that you will feel eventually is fear, especially if I leave you blindfolded for quite some time. You will feel fear. Another, sen uh, another emotion that you will feel is a sense of helplessness. It wasn't just Elisha's servant being blind to the angelic army that caused him to feel helpless. When the Aramean army was struck with blindness, it was their turn to be captured by Elisha, although it was not by force. And they were helpless and had no choice but to follow his leading, thinking that you know, somebody else was leading, him to, uh, leading them to Elisha. See, many times we are not always aware of our own blindness. If our perception doesn't match our spiritual reality, a lot of times we, don't, we won't even realize that we are blind because we assume that what we perceive is actually reality and what is really happening around us. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, The God of this age, which is the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Those who don't believe in Jesus are stuck 
believing that what they see is what they get. That this earth and this life and this physical body is all there is to their existence. But blindness doesn't change reality, does it? It only changes our perception of reality. For example, bats, they only see in black and white, at least as far as my, my own biological knowledge uh, tells me. Uh, they only see in black and white. That doesn't mean that the colors red and blue don't exist in this world. Reality is not determined by the observer. And the same goes for spiritual blindness. Charles Spurgeon puts it like this. He says, that you have not perceived spiritual things is true, but it is not proof that there are none to perceive. The whole case is like that of the Irish men who tried to upset evidence by non-evidence. Four witnesses saw him commit a murder. He pleaded that he was not guilty and wished to establish his innocence by producing 40 persons who did not see him do it. Of what use would that have been? So if 40 people declare that there is no power of the Holy Ghost going with the word, this only proves that the 40 people do not know what the others do know. And so basically he's saying, non-evidence, non having witnesses who say that they don't see something, is not proof that that thing does not exist and has not happened. And so observing spiritual realities takes spiritual sight. It can't be observed with our own natural sight. But here's the thing. Only God can give spiritual sight. If you notice, in all these miracles of opening Elisha's servant's eyes and blinding the Aramean army, opening their eyes again, Elisha doesn't go and he, you know, wave and then uh, uh, do cataract surgery and all that sort of thing. He, he doesn't throw flashbang grenades. No, he prays. He prays to God. God is the one who does it. God is the one who initiates. He, God is the one who initiates opening their eyes. And this is consistent with the pillar of our Christian faith, that when it comes to God's favor and God's blessings, He is always the one to make the first move. We cannot do anything to earn it. This is known as grace. And especially for us Methodists, uh, a more detailed branch of grace, prevenient grace, the grace that comes before our decisions to seek God or repent and turn back to Him, or even the decision to open our eyes. Prevenient grace, the grace that comes before any response of our part. So when we sing Amazing Grace, and how we sing about uh, we were blind, but now we can see. We're not just singing about God being merciful to accept us after we turn back to Him. We're singing about God opening our eyes while we were still blind in our rebellion against Him. And we thank God for spiritual sight because having sight brings courage and confidence. If you compare Elisha's posture to his servant, he's not moved by fear or helpless uncertainty. Since he could see the angelic army, it gave him 
courage. It gave him confidence. We also know that this is not Elisha's first time seeing such miraculous things, other than you know, all the other miracles that God had already done through him up to this point. Elisha had seen flaming chariots and horses already before when Elijah was taken up to the heavens before his eyes. He had, this is old stuff to him. And so Elisha had seen God at work time and time again, and that gave him all the courage and confidence he needed to face this situation. So how do you defeat fear? Not necessarily by removing the threat or removing the unknown, but by seeing the presence of something or someone that can eliminate that threat. For example, just a very quick example. I'm terrified of cockroaches. Uh, stupid fear, I know. <laughs> very irrational. Uh, but I am less afraid of cockroaches when my wife is around because she has zero fear. Uh, she can go up to the cockroach and pick it up by the feeler and dangle, dangle and flush it down the toilet. After that, I won't touch her for days. Uh, <laughs> recently, I, I discovered that my cat is a cockroach assassin as well. And so when my wife is around and my cat is around, I have even less reasons to be afraid of cockroaches when they are around. And so, how do we defeat our fears of the supernatural? How do we defeat our fears of situations beyond our control? How do we defeat our fears of the unknown? By knowing the ultimate source of courage and confidence, creator of the universe, our almighty God. Now, I remember what it was like before I really knew who God was and before I really saw the reality of God and you know, the kingdom of God and spiritual things. Many things have changed since I truly began to follow Jesus Christ. And one of the things that has changed the most is in the area of fear. My fear of knowing my place in life, uh, my, my fear of rejection, my fear of how people perceive me, all these fears were dismantled because I know the one who gives me courage and confidence in all those areas. I'm still praying for God to deal with my fear of cockroaches, but maybe he answered by, by sending me my wife and my cat. Okay. Uh, so although we're born into spiritual blindness, faith in Jesus brings spiritual sight. And so that's the good news for us. We're all born into spiritual blindness, but faith in Jesus brings spiritual sight. Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3, that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And so having spiritual sight to see God and his kingdom is not necessarily you know, to, to be able to see the spiritual realm as how you would see with your natural eyes, okay? that you see floaty things or shiny things or angels flying around. Not necessarily that. Although there may be moments when God allows us to or, or some of us may be gifted in, in seeing such things. But as Christians, all of us as Christians, we can see God at work. We can see the effects of God at work. You can think of this spiritual sight as, a, as an awareness of spiritual things happening around you. Faith in Jesus opens our eyes to the spiritual dimension. It's like viewing a, a, a photograph of a hand in 2D 
and then being able to view the hand in 3D on your own. It's a totally different thing. Now, at this point, some of you may be asking, well, I haven't seen God, uh, whether you know, physically or uh, the spiritual realm, not even in the sense of spiritual awareness. God has not opened my eyes. What do I do? There's a reason why we call it the Christian faith, why we call it, uh, why we say we need faith in Jesus, why we are a people of faith, and so on, faith this, faith that. Because when it comes to following God, when it comes to following Jesus, there is a need for faith. There may be moments when God allows us to see so clearly, like Elisha's servant, after his eyes are opened, we see everything so clearly that we, we, we can just act on instinct because we see it. But God reminds us, sorry, Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that we live by faith and not by sight. Even though our Christian faith is not brainless faith, and we seek to understand and engage in apologetics and all that, ultimately, even the most learned scholar will come to a point where faith is needed beyond all the available evidence. Now, the same thing happens in our court of law when a case is proved beyond reasonable doubt. You don't have 100% evidence that you know, every single thing, you don't know every single thing that transpired. You don't have access to all that evidence, but you have enough evidence to reasonably point towards a verdict. And so faith in the evidence and faith in the judicial system closes that gap. And so we cannot rely purely on sight, especially when sight fails us. When, we per when, when what we perceive is God's absence or his indifference. We cannot rely on those perceptions because that is not the reality. Jesus tells us the value of faith in John chapter 20, verse 29. He tells Thomas, uh, doubting Thomas, blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. So there's a need for faith. But faith in what? Faith that God will give us what we want? Faith that God will take away our suffering? No, that is faith that is based on our own expectations and our own desires. Our faith should always be based on God, God's promises, God's purposes, God's character, and God's timing. Our faith should always be based on God's promises, His purposes, His character, and His timing. And by the way, there is no shortcut or formula to knowing these things his promises, his purposes, his character, and his timing. It is only through personal, close relationship with God, day by day. Lastly, there is a need for our own faith. Elisha's servant didn't take Elisha's word for it when he said, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha's servant had to see it for himself. Third-party testimony and witness can only get you so far. We cannot live off the faith of others, whether it's our parents or our spouses or our pastors. That's why infant baptism is followed up with confirmation. There comes a day when you need to own your own faith. Jesus should be our only mediator to God. No other person should take that place. 
And even though God is the one who opens our eyes, Jesus promises in Matthew 7, 7 that if we keep seeking God, we will find Him. And James 4, 8 also tells us that if we come near to God, He will come near to us. And so basically the question is not, can I see God? It is, how badly do you want to see God? How badly do you want to open your spiritual eyes? Keep seeking God, keep drawing near to God, He will open your eyes. Therefore, friends, in conclusion, the Armenian army had their eyes opened when they reached Samaria. And what did they see? They saw that they were surrounded by by their enemy in, in a situation where they were completely vulnerable. And so, friends, spiritual realities remain. The question is, what will we see when our spiritual eyes are finally opened? Because we're all spiritual beings, right? Our spiritual eyes, all of us, will finally be opened. What will we see when our spiritual eyes are finally opened? Either here on earth, through faith in Jesus, or in eternity, before the throne of judgment of Jesus Christ? Will we see something that gives us courage and confidence, like Elisha's servant, or will we see something that brings us fear and helplessness like the Arameans?